I know we do a lot of promo for the 80s cruise, but I have to tell you, it's because we have so much fun on board, and Katie and I want to share that with you all. Yeah, just going on a cruise can be amazing, but our 80s family takes it to a whole different level. What's our 80s family, you ask? Well, that's the name we've given our cruise posse. And whether you're a first-time 80s cruiser or a senior this year, if you're on board, you too will find your people. Sportos, motorheads, geeks, dweebies. They're all here. And guess what? We all get along. We've become friends with some amazing people on this cruise, and I know you will too. This cruise is like finding yourself at summer camp with people who get you. We want you on board, but you need to act quickly to take advantage of this latest promo code. Book before August 31st and use the promo code AUGUST on select cabins and get free drink packages, plus a full year to pay off your fare. That's a heck of a deal to spend a week at sea on the Celebrity Infinity hanging with the MTV VJs and those goofballs from the Stuck in the 80s podcast. And you'll get to see performances by Kenny Loggins, Sheila E., The Fix, Berlin, OMD, English Beat, D. Snyder, Grandmaster Flash, Cutting Crew, and more. Just go to www.the80scruise to book. Use the promo code AUGUST, but please tell them that you heard about it on Stuck in the 80s. Hope we see you on board. Now on with the show. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the laughter. <laughs> the heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. <laughs> because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And Brad in L.A. And today we make good on our promise to cover more television in 2018. So we have a special guest today to cover the worst TV shows of the 80s. I, I'm big sorry. I'm major sorry. <laughs> I know you've heard this before, but I promise it will never happen again. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcast on Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, and the CLNS Media mobile app. And don't forget to listen to our podcast at the CLNS Media website. You can find that at anyone, anyone, clnsmedia.com is correct. And as always, we plead, we beg, we grovel. If you love our show, share the links on social media. And don't forget to like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Facebook address is facebook.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast and twitter is just plain old stuck in the 80s brad with us today another fellow podcaster and tv expert it's chris cooling from forgotten tv hey chris hello how we, are we today <laughs> we are we are obviously suffering from too much sugar intake woohoo there's no truth to the rumor that I ate 17 plates of pancakes before you recorded. Just seven. It was only, yes, exactly. Chris, tell us a little bit more about your podcast. Well, I do the podcast Forgotten TV, where we cover TV from the 70s and 80s with a focus on short-lived uh, shows and TV pilots and made-for-TV movies. Wow. Okay, cool. How long have you been doing it now? 
I've been doing it for about a year and a half. Even I think on the first show, I mentioned Stuck in the 80s because uh, you guys were certainly one of the first podcasts I ever listened to. Wow. Oh, cool. I mean, it's coming up on 10 solid years that I've been listening to this show. You guys sent me a box of Funyuns in June. <laughs> no. Wow. I, those are probably Funyuns that I bought <laughs> back in that era and sent to Steve at work. Yeah. Didn't you send the boxes for me to send them in too? Yeah, because you're like, oh, I can't ship them. I don't have. And so I'm like, fine. And I, to this day, I get the Uline catalog at home. It's like you know, this <laughs> giant phone book of stuff. <laughs> I get that, too. That's really weird. I don't know how that happens. We're so happy to have you on the show. The trouble, we've said this before, Brad and I, uh, we didn't watch a whole lot of TV in the 80s. And, it, and I think we, we've said it's because we had jobs and we were just complete nerds. Was that we it? We were out living lives? Sure. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd go all the way to living a life, but, you know. I guess I watched the stuff that was, like, really popular, right? Like, you know, the Thursday night block on NBC. Sure. A lot of the stuff I just never saw. Myself, I've been always somewhat of a TV and media nerd. Um, okay. In sixth grade, I won a school contest where I wrote a radio commercial, and I actually got to record it. So when I was 12, I actually had my first aired radio spot. Wow. I was at home wow. recording TV theme songs on a Panasonic cassette recorder, holding the, holding the cassette recorder up to the TV because that was the only way you could get these theme songs. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's cool. So here's what we're going to do today. Usually in Stuck in the 80s, we try to keep things pretty positive. Uh, we, don't, we, don't try to, we, we don't try to neg too much. But For instance, we're positive that Steve doesn't like Madonna very much. <laughs> I, I'd like her more now that I did better on that pop quiz you gave me. <laughs> so, and, and she's older now, so she's less of a threat. Chris and I have been talking about this for a long, a long time now, like getting ready to do this show. What we've decided to do is we're going to let Chris give us his top five picks for the worst TV series of the 80s. Chris, let me ask you this first. Are these shows truly awful or are they merely misguided in their attempts to entertain the 80s masses? Okay, so worst is subjective, right? I mean, a show sure. can be entertaining uh, but be terrible from a critical perspective. I mean, that's why I think we, we decided to call these TV misfires of the 1980s. Take a show like Aftermath. It's a much maligned show. You will find it included on these lists online of worst TV shows of all time. But what's interesting is that this show didn't get the reputation for that until the late 90s, when people started comparing uh -huh. their memory of the show, not rewatching it because there was no, uh, and it's, it's never been released. Um, and only now can be viewable on YouTube. So they're, they're taking their decades-old memories, and they're comparing that unfairly to the endless reruns of MASH they've been watching yeah. for 20 years. So another show that's sometimes included on these spinoff lists as a, a bad idea was Enos. I don't know if either of you have recognized the, t the title or have ever seen it. I remember that show, I but I don't think it, I ever I know saw what you're talking about. It. It's a Dukes of Hazard spinoff. So right there, I mean, we have uh, uh, the deputy, Enos, from Dukes of Hazard was uh, Sonny Shore. Uh, how do you pronounce that? Sonny Shore, uh, Shoyer? Sure. Not something that easily rolls off. They gave him his own show. You know, small town, backwoods, sheriff's deputy makes it to the big city. Yeah. 
And we watched it. It was not something I remember as being a great show. It's often included as uh, a ridiculous concept. The key thing is I can't find any episodes to watch. It's not okay. on. Uh, and that was one of the things I wanted to be able to do to have inclusion on this list is for me to be able to watch the series so that I can actually make a judgment, include them on the list. Okay. Your own opinions. So, yeah. I mean, it seems like that kind of show, you know, the plots are right there. I, you know, the fish out of water stories are, you know, how many, you know, you could, you could write 20 plot summaries in about 30 minutes for that with, you know, just given those two pieces of information, <laughs> a small town cop goes to the big city. And immediately they were, let's get uncle Jesse over here. And, you know, Daisy Duke shows up in the following episode. And so right. like, like, let's, uh, let's try to uh, do some crossovers here, but uh, it didn't last more than one season. Another show that, I remember uh, watching and even thinking it was terrible at the time was Harper Valley PTA. Oh, yeah. That was another short-lived uh, one-season or less show with Barbara Eden, 1981. Okay. If you remember, there was an actual feature film called Harper Valley PTA, which was based on that song from 1968. I remember the film. I don't remember the song, but I mean, Barbara Eden was, I mean, we all knew her from what? I Love Jeannie. Sure, I yeah, do. I dream of Jeannie. Yeah, I love, I love Jeannie. Whatever. That was a different movie I saw. I'm sorry. Leave your <laughs> leave your feelings out of it, okay, Spiercy? I know you're just trying to get into that bottle. I got the wrong rental that day. Even the original movie, you watch it now, and you're like, this was a theatrical film. It played like a TV movie all the way. Oh, really? When I go back and watch some of this, you, you do see some interesting things. So that was one of the ones that you thought that would have worked really good as a movie of the week type of thing instead of releasing it to theaters. But even as when I was 11, I was thinking, well, this show is really bad. <laughs> Another thing, you can't find any episodes of it to watch. Hmm. Did anybody watch She's the Sheriff? I remember no. it. I don't think I ever saw no, an episode that's a hard, of it. That's a hard no. Yeah. See, that's one of the things. I've never seen it either, but it's one of these shows that's often included. In fact, TV Guide has it listed as number 44 on their 50 worst TV shows of all time list. Generally recognized as a terrible show, but I can't even find one full episode to watch. Well, when I see Suzanne Summers down at the grocery store next week, I'll ask her if she has any uh, yeah. old tapes we could get a look at. There you go. Okay, you've given us some great honorable mentions for uh misfires and certainly every one of those i mean like i'm pretty sure that if in college between the years of 1987 and 1989 if i had gone into the dorm room and, and said we're all going to watch she's the sheriff i'm pretty sure they would have beaten the <laughs> shit out of me for very good reason so i, I could see where maybe some of these things were, were set up for, to fail but mm. i want to get to the meat of today so let's go through your Forgotten TV's top five TV misfires of the 80s. And we'll, we'll count backwards from number five. Excellent. It's 1985, right? There's a phenomenon on TV that's just starting to take hold called first-run TV syndication. There were 300 independent, non-network, secondary TV stations in the United States. And they all needed content. And this was yeah. before every person was handed an afternoon talk show, it seemed, there started to be some first-run syndicated comedies that would air alongside reruns. Shows like Small Wonder. I take it you are Mr. Lawson. That's right. You can take it that I am Vicky. <laughs> I figured that out already. Your size gives you away. I'm programmed to be an average 10-year-old child. 
<laughs> Kids, boy, are they into computer talk these days. <laughs> it's the show everyone expects to make this list, right? So I thought we would include it first. <laughs> it's a silly little show. It started in first run syndication and it ran. Anybody want to take a guess? Uh, how many, I mean, how many episodes it ran? Yeah. Uh, like 12. So it ran for an unbelievable 96 episodes. What? Wow. Yes. And it was That's like three or four seasons, four seasons. Indeed. Uh, it was a groundbreaking show, though, because it was one of the two first comedies to go into first run syndication from what I could find. Huh. If you've never seen it, the show is about a supposedly a little nine year old girl robot that lives with a family. <laughs> well, sure, because if you're going to build a robot, of course, you build a nine year old girl robot, yeah. not like a 17 year old, somebody that could take out the garbage. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to refrain from the jokes. Don't worry, that's what I'm here for. The dad is a robotics engineer, and he creates this little nine-year-old girl robot, of course, and he names her Vicky, which stands for Voice Input Child Identicate. Oh, my gosh. That's not even a word. I know. It's something they made up for the show. So he activates the Vicky robot, and she, of course, becomes part of the family, and they have to teach her how to be a little girl. Because, of course. Oh, my God. You know, Wasn't there a movie about this with a... Boy robot instead called Daryl. Daryl. 1984. Yeah. That this, was much better concept than this. Yeah. Where do you think they got the idea for Small Wonder from? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it ended up being the lowest budget show on television at the time. Wow. They produced it for $300,000 an episode. And, and this is the reason it was on for so long. It was so cheaply produced that it was virtually impossible yeah. to lose money on the show. Huh. Yeah, this is the golden age of owning a television station because it was virtually impossible to lose money in that business at that time. Yeah, the show was really weird, though. Um, it was uneven. If you watch any episodes, it doesn't seem to stick to any one target audience, which was somewhat unsettling when they come to some topics. There's a surprising amount of adult humor in this show but, you know, that aired in the afternoons aimed at kids that was on before G.I. Joe. Weird. Hmm. Have any, did you any, get to see any of the clips that I included? Uh, I was afraid to click on them, to be honest. Usually when somebody I don't know sends me a clip that says Small Wonder on it, I don't, I don't open it. <laughs> it's just a mirror, Steve. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I've, I know I've seen the, um, I've heard the theme song, obviously. We use it as a trivia question on pretty much every 80s cruise. Well, you know how all these sitcoms in the 80s did these very special episodes, right? Yeah. Everybody can remember right. at least one. Yeah. There was the infamous Different Strokes two-parter. Um, there, there was every, every show did one of those very special episodes. But the key is you only do one a season, right? They usually have a tag at the end saying, no, this topic was about this and right. don't do drugs, you know, or whatever at the end. Yeah. It was, it was Stop touching yourself, Spearsy. <laughs> no. Uh, but this show uh, seemed to do multiple very special episodes every season. The young boy that was the brother, basically, of the robot, let's deal with homelessness. So he brings home a homeless man, and hilarity ensues, evidently. <laughs> you had uh, a topic about uh, deadbeat dads and, and broken families. Oh. The time that the schoolyard drug pusher was trying to sell Vicky drugs. There was the classmate with leukemia. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. It was ridiculous. The infamous episodes, I guess we should say, there was the smoking episode where both smoking and chewing tobacco were covered. So we got all bases there. 
Okay. Uh, good, good. You know, don't smoke. The schoolyard bully actually was Adam Rich, who had aged. Oh my gosh, his- from Eight is Enough? Yes, he had aged from his Nicholas role on Eight is Enough. Tell me he had a better haircut. His haircut was a little ridiculous. You know, at the very end, it's like, well, it's too bad Adam got cancer. You know, and it was like, dang. <laughs> you might have the clip there, but it's, uh, it was uh, a little off-putting. Wow. Okay, so number five is uh, Small Wonder, which is no small wonder at all. <laughs> What's number four, Chris, on your list of the uh, top five TV misfires of the 80s? Well, number four is 1981's The Brady Brides. It's a new life for two girls named Brady Who have left the bunch to make it on their own Jan fell in love with a man named Philip The night the guy she knows In the meantime, along came Wally He's different than Philip every way The girls are headed for a double wedding Does this sound familiar to anybody? Yeah, but in a sort of way that um, like any bad news sounds familiar. Like, oh, that's right. I took a geometry course this year and I forgot to go to it. <laughs> well, the, the Brady Bunch was, of course, the love sitcom that was endlessly rerun, but it had ended in 1974. NBC and Sherwood Schwartz evidently wanted to milk the Brady's for all they were worth. So they devised basically a reunion TV movie, which is not a bad idea. Actually, this was the last time that the entire cast would be together for a Brady project. This Hmm. was originally going to be a two-hour TV movie. But at the last minute, NBC divided it into three segments and aired it for three consecutive weeks. And they quickly said, we want a show of the Brady Brides. And so it got greenlit as a series and they rushed it into Hmm. production. The horror mm-hmm. uh, begins with the res- the first regular episode, which turns out to be episode four, which basically becomes the concept of the odd couples. Wally and Marsha are the freewheeling bohemians, and Dan marries Philip, who was uptight and conservative and a university professor. Oh, those guys are the worst. Yeah, so it's not the worst concept. It immediately fell apart. The first regular episode fell into these old TV sitcom tropes like splitting the house down the middle, complete with tape. You know, this is my side, this is my side. Oh, jeez. That was done in the 50s on I Love Lucy. It was 1981, and they're doing 30-year-old jokes. Right. What was worse than that, though, was the humor was very cringeworthy. I mean, here you have, basically, you could watch in the morning the rerun of the Brady Bunch, these girls and a family. Mm -hmm. And then at 7 p.m. at night, you're watching... They're the same girls in adult situations making sex jokes. That was what was probably the most shocking thing about rewatching the show was those uh, sexual double entendres. This lock is a deterrent. That's right. Like some people feel leaving the lights on is a deterrent. Wally doesn't feel that's a deterrent at all. 
actually kind of likes it. <laughs> We're not talking about the bedroom. You weren't, but I was. <laughs> I have listened to the sex jokes from the Brady Brides, and I can never erase that from my head. Yeah. No bueno. <laughs> Even a newspaper report said my nomination for the worst show of the season has to be NBC's The Brady Brides, released on an unsuspecting public. <laughs> Fred Silverman, you've gone too far. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Uh, another plot had uh, Wally bringing home a giant toy gorilla from work and stashing it in his closet. You had Mrs. Brady demonstrating how to hit a mugger in the balls, part of neighborhood watch training. It was generally a terrible show and go figure one of the writers from the brady brides went on to be writer and executive story editor on small wonder <laughs> oh, God. well there you go whoa that's all you need to know about that we have a through line for our story <laughs> hey let's take a time out right now to talk about one of our new sponsors stuck and is happy to announce we have game time on board as a sponsor now they are the top destination for last minute tickets to sporting events concerts and shows Unlike Ticketmaster and StubHub, the, the face of evil, who overwhelm their users with choices and steps and never-ending clicks, uh, GameTime curates only the best value tickets and makes the experience incredibly fast and easy. And to make selecting tickets even easier, GameTime shows you your seats and high-res photos. Plus, there's a GameTime guarantee. GameTime guarantees that you'll get your tickets in time and they'll be valid for entry. If not, They'll find you uh, comparable replacement tickets or give you a 100% refund. How many times does that happen in life? Here's how you do it. Just go to your uh, iPhone or your Android phone and download the app. I'm telling you right now, I'm using this sucker to get tickets to the uh, Toto show this fall in Orlando over at uh, Universal Live. Don't tell my employer I'll be over at Universal. Are you going to bless the rains down in Africa? God. Can we, can we just all agree that we don't need to hear that song anymore, please? <gasps> you stop it right now. That song is a national treasure. <laughs> uh, and, of course, we have a deal for you for game time. For $15 off your first purchase, visit usegametime.com slash 80s and use the promo code 80s. Let me spell it out for you. That's U-S-E-G-A-M-E-T-I-M-E dot com slash 80s. Valid only for first-time customers. But that's all you're going to need. You're going to be a game time uh, fan for life. Now let's get back to <laughs> scraping the 80s for the uh, top five TV misfires of our favorite decade. We're up to number three. Chris, who is number three on your list? Well, number three, we go back to the year 1980. Anybody remember watching Battlestar Galactica? Of course. <laughs> Oh, I love that show. Loved that show. Excellent. I mean, it was fantastic. You had a fleet of ships in uh, another galaxy escaping destruction. You had the, the robot enemies, the Cylons. Yeah. It was a great show. Uh, I mean, everybody played Cylons and Colonial Warriors when uh, I went to, to grade school when that show was on. Yeah. yeah. You, you go to 1980, though. Battlestar Galactica only lasted one season. Really, it was over. It was canceled. It was gone. It was an expensive show, and so uh, they ended it. So you can imagine on Sunday morning of January 27th, 1980, the freakout that I had when I opened the newspaper TV <laughs> and I saw Battlestar Galactica finds Earth 
listed at 6 p.m. Central. Wow. That was the first I was aware that the show was coming back in some form, was in the morning that same day, the newspaper TV listings. It was a, quite a different experience than how things are done today. <laughs> you had Commander Adama come back. You had a couple of the characters from the original show, but most of the characters have been replaced with new ones, including this kid named Dr. Z, which seemed to, uh, to rule over everybody on the Galactica for some reason. So basically, you have characters from, from the Galactica going to Earth, and for some reason, they have to meet and talk to Mr. Brady, who's a prominent scientist on Earth. <laughs> they have to go back to Nazi Germany to stop an evil Galactica named Xaviar from changing Earth history. It was kind of interesting. There were some cool concepts going on. It wasn't the best. So, Chris, let me ask a quick question. So, am I misremembering? Didn't this show, was this the show that had the, like, the space scouts and they would, like, go, they were on Earth and they, like, there was an episode, I don't know why I remember this, there was an episode where they were helping some farmer with his crops. Is that this series or is there another Galactica series that I'm thinking? This of? is when things started to fall apart, was when the show returned. It was not on for five weeks. And the show comes back, okay. and it's, it's become a total abomination, because on <laughs> March 16th, 1980, the Super Scouts debuted. Okay, okay, yeah, that's what I'm remembering. So it was basically involvement of the network censors, the standards and practices people. Any scripted show in this time slot had to be child-friendly and educational in some way, and they oh. a laundry list of what they had to show there could only be so many incidents of violence per episode. Okay. The series needed to be clean cut and presentable. Huh. There needed to be at least four scenes containing something educational. And why aren't there any kids? There's got to be more kids. Oh, jeez. Darn standards and practices, people. So Glenn Larson said, you want kids? I'll give you kids. And we got the Super Scouts. Oh, God. Uh, okay. I vaguely remember the there were some Nazis at some point, and I'm like, Okay, sure. I, you know, I'm I'm buying the premise of the space travel. Why not the time travel too? While we're at it, but then the space scouts thing kind of like I remember being done at that point. I'm like, okay, I'm out. You had the super scouts. They were posing for some reason as a scout troop on Earth because reasons. It turns out people on the Galactica were strong and can jump high because of the difference in gravity. So we got a continuing story of. It, it, went to, it did this 180 from time travel, talking to the Earth scientists, to super kids teaching us lessons because we have to have four educational things per episode. Pollution is bad. Cheating is bad. Oh, Racism is bad. How does rain work? All these, all these little lessons. Jumping high is amazing. We learned this on Six Million Dollar Man. And they sang these wonderful little songs while they planted the crops. Uh, for that Hispanic family that was being unjustly forced out of the farm. They're jumping 50 feet in the air. That's impossible. Four of the 10 episodes of Galactic 1980 were like this. And we had already burned through the three with that premiere movie. So all of them were bad, with the exception of the last episode, which was actually very good for some reason. They brought uh, one of the original characters back, Starbuck. 
and uh, we find out what happened to him. But the rest of these episodes, it was just this debacle. And, um, you know, at some point, I'm sure I'll do an episode of this, but the, and we had the, the writers of the show didn't even want to be on the show. They would cheer for its cancellation every day. <laughs> it was the most expensive show ever in history, a, a million and a half per episode. Oh, my gosh. You're kidding. Uh, this is because the network, ABC, they needed the show right now. And they had this very uh, production window. So seven days a week, they were working round the clock to produce a show. Everybody was getting paid overtime. People were living on the set in campers. Plus all that jumping. I mean, the jumping isn't cheap. You know, you got to move the trampolines and put the flying rigs in places. You know, the bottom line was it was inconsistent with what came before in both tone and quality. Okay, moving along. What is we're down to the top two. I have a pretty good idea what one of them is. So what is number two on the Chris Cooling uh, top five misfires of TV in the 80s? Well, it was 1983. Like you said earlier, it was the year MASH ended. Literally a third of the country watched the finale. The Disney Channel went on the air. And NBC had its 1983 fall season. They had 16 shows that were not coming back. Chips, Quincy, Little House on the Prairie, Taxi. And they had to fill all of these slots. Wow. 1983 is, is well known for being one of the biggest misfires of any TV season ever. Um, and so to, the last two are from this 1983 NBC fall season. The first one is Manimal. And again, Glenn Larson is involved. Dr. Jonathan Chase. Wealthy, young, handsome. A man with the brightest of futures. A man with the darkest of pasts. From Africa's deepest recesses to the rarefied peaks of Tibet, heir to his father's legacy and the world's darkest mysteries. My son, you must have faith and learn. This is not the end. This is the beginning. Jonathan Chase. Master of the secrets that divide man from animal. Animal from man. Partnered with a young police detective and a former army corporal from the fields of Vietnam. A trio that stands against the crime that breeds in the concrete jungles and stretches its deadly tentacles to the fascinating but dangerous world beyond. The world of Manimal. This was a show that was on on Friday nights. It was a high concept show. It was about a wealthy animal behavioralist that, of course, was a New York police consultant who was called in whenever they had a case involving animals, hmm. like one time. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, this guy could turn into any animal because this was a Glenn Larson show and anything is possible. Jesus. Well, did they give any reason like that he drink battery acid or... See, watch too many time life specials or did just it just was part of the ground that we walked on. You see, that's one of the things was that it was sort of poorly explained in the pilot. So they actually produced and tacked on this opening segment, which made it, I think, the longest opening segment of any show in history at two minutes and 45 seconds. <laughs> they would play the teaser, then the theme song, then the opening segment explaining about Manimal. It explained that his father was in Africa and, of course, some type of uh, mystical origin. It looks like he goes into the force 
or becomes a hawk or something and uh-huh. imbues this ability to his son. Oh, cool. Well, you know, it's good, it's good to have, you know, that's a nice inheritance. Some people get a trust fund. Some people maybe get an old car, maybe the house, or, you know, the ability to turn into an animal. This show starred uh, Simon McCorkendale, who was a British actor and had been on uh, some great productions. Uh, Melody Anderson was in the show. She was on. Anybody remember? Uh, no. Drawing no. a blank. She was Dale Arden on Flash Gordon. Oh, oh gosh, God. of course. So you had these two characters, and they did have some chemistry involved, but the show was lambasted in the media. I don't know if any of you were the late show watchers. Oh, yeah. Letterman teased, basically used this in his top 10 almost every night. Yeah, it was mentioned a lot of times. David Letterman was making fun of the 83 fall season before any of these shows had aired. I'm sure his corporate overlords appreciated the help, right? He seemed to really have a lot of fun poking fun at the network. This show lasted for eight episodes, and interestingly, Glenn Larson even brought the character back 15 years later on his series Nightman in, what, 1998, 99? Okay. Syndicated show about a man that flew around that he could telepathically detect evil. (laughs) Well, that would be a hassle. That would be a giant hassle. (laughs) But uh, on Manimal, uh, you had these great animal transformations. They were done by Stan Winston. If that name sounds familiar, Terminator. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this is pre-Terminator Stan Winston. He got started on TV, did the 1970s Gargoyles TV movie. That was, I think, his first credit. So he made some of these little physical appliances and everything. Some of them were great. Some mm-hmm. of them were hilarious. and. <laughs> have to watch the hawk transformation if anything you got to watch him become a hawk because it's sort of uh hilarious and horrifying at the same time nice okay so we've gone through four really interesting tv shows so far we had uh number five small wonder number four the brady brides with all the sexual jokes that i will never get out of my head number three galactic 1980 number two manimal what is the chris cooling forgotten tv Top pick for top five TV misfires of the 80s. The same season of 1983 produced the wonderful, the legendary show, We Got It Made. It's the hit show everybody's talking about. Sounds good. A comedy so funny, you'll laugh till you turn blue. (laughs) I look like a giant smurf. We Got It Made. The show lasted a full season of 22 episodes, which is incredible to me. For being number one on my list, this was actually the best performing new show NBC put on the air in that season. <laughs> Dang. What a tough year. For some content to watch, right? They threw this show on Thursday night. This was before NBC Thursday night became must-see TV. And you sure. shows like Mama's Family on Thursday night on NBC. So it was a little bit different quality than uh, what came later. They threw this in between Mama's Family and Cheers. And this, uh, this TV comedy starred Matt McCoy, Tom Villard, and Stephanie Kramer, who later went on to the show Hunter, probably what she's best known for. And Terry Copley was introduced as the hot maid. So what, what was this show about? Uh, did anybody see the, uh, the synopsis of, of this uh, I, wonderful program? I honest to God thought you were making shit up at this point when you put the name of the show on here. I was like, that sounds like, like a takeoff <laughs> of a sitcom title. Exactly. Basically, the show was about two Manhattan bachelors in a New York high-rise apartment, and they decide to hire a housekeeper. And her only qualification is that she was hot. 
much to the chagrin of their girlfriends. I mean, this is a show that. Uh, yeah, seriously, this is the all you need to do is, you know, turn the dial of TV tropes and you could generate, you know, three episodes Jeez. a week without even trying. The attempted humor on this show was clearly inspired by Three's Company. It was complete with plots based on misunderstandings, <laughs> but it had none of the charm or the comedy talent that Three's Company had. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember this program at all. I don't remember the title. I don't remember the premise. I don't think I ever saw it. No uh, recollection whatsoever. Well, the show was universally panned by the critics. Having that uh, show up in the media every week uh, eventually wore down NBC, and they decided to end the show. But it did last the full season. It was truly terrible. When I'm looking into this, you see the executive producer was the big TV executive, Fred Silverman. But if you go on to IMDb, somebody has taken Fred Silverman's name off of the show listing. <laughs> Alan Smithy. <laughs> There's a clip on uh, YouTube where you can see episode two of this show. They recap the first episode. Well, that's exactly what happened, whatever they show in that 45 seconds. Basically, Mickey the maid is uh, sleepwalking and feather dusting the apartment in her nightie. So, uh, comedy. Oh, God. Oh, she's sleepwalking so she goes to bed in the bed of one of the guys uh, and girlfriend yeah. decides to show up at three o'clock in the morning so these are the types of misunderstandings that hijinks ensue um episode four they just drop all pretense and it's called mickey goes topless <laughs> okay yeah they seem to already be out of ideas by episode four. Oh, nbc What's funny is it started off strong for them, and they had it on on Thursday nights, but all of the negative reviews and viewers abandoned the series, and it just wasn't renewed. It was incredibly, incredibly bad. But this was produced by the producer team of Gordon and Lynn Farr, and they had done the Bob Newhart show and the Love Boat. So they were capable oh, of geez. much better humor than this. And this was one of the shows that was brought back in 1987 to go alongside She's the Sheriff on that primetime begin oh. 730 campaign that they did in the late 80s. Okay, interesting. Incredibly, it got a it got a revival just a few years later and it didn't last. It just lasted another season. Oh, crazy. That's crazy. But, and that was their best performing new show of 83? Yes. I got to think like the people at NBC were just having kittens trying to figure out like is there anything we can get like can we buy some German TV show and overdub it like anything. They just had to be scrambling. Yeah, what was funny, though, was uh, by mid-season, they added Night Court to the schedule and threw that on instead okay. of Thursday night. And they moved Cheers up, I think, to uh, the 8 p.m. Central time slot and then followed by Night Court. And pretty quickly, it became must-see TV, especially the following season after they added The Cosby Show. Yeah. So their rating slump was over by the following season. They had some other hit shows like Miami Vice and uh, Highway to Heaven and things that were added to the schedule. and. So yeah, I've heard of those programs. I mean, you've yeah. watched one or two of them. The early 80s, they were misfiring. But by the end of the 80s, NBC consistently had a hold on half of the top 20 shows on wow. television. Man. Yeah, awesome. they got it dialed in. Yeah, so yeah. what an arc, man. Well, thanks. That's an amazing list. We spent a lot of time today talking about what's bad. Let's talk about what's good. Um, we're real happy here at Stucky Nays to announce that RX Bar is now a sponsor of our podcast. RX Bar is the whole food protein bar that labels all of its core ingredients in huge letters that even I can read, even where I'm wearing my reading glasses, and uh, you can see from across the room. That's how big they are. Uh, right on the front of each package, so you know you're eating right. No artificial ingredients, no fillers, no preservatives, 
no BS. And I'm not actually not improvising that line. That is actually part of their logo is no BS. So you know that they've got the balls to put out the right kind of bars. Now that is improvising and that should be on their logo, but it is not. <laughs> uh, instead, RX bars are full of exotic ingredients like apples, coconuts, and egg whites. Did I pronounce those correctly? I think so, uh, Steve. No chemists were yeah, harmed exactly. in the naming of these ingredients. Uh, I have a box of Arx bars at my desk at work, and I use them like every day at 3 o'clock because about that time, my will to live starts to shrink from the planet, and I need some protein. And so they're all there, and they, they do the job for me every single time. Uh, I'm old school, so my favorite flavor is peanut butter chocolate. It reminds me of uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. But there's so many other flavors to try, including, I'm not making these up, mango pineapple, chocolate hazelnut, peanut butter and berries, chocolate sea salt, coffee chocolate, and there are seasonal flavors too, which I imagine means there's some pumpkin stuff coming down the, the road. Yeah, I, I will say I really did like the mixed berry much more than yeah, I yeah. thought I would. I have, I, I'm, I'm saving those for next week. And of course, we have a special offer for you to try RX bars as well for 25% off your first order. Seriously, that's pretty generous. 25% off. Your first order, visit rxbar.com slash radical and enter the promo code radical at checkout. That's rxbar.com slash radical. Promo code radical. Couldn't be easier. It's literally the name of almost every single one of our promo codes. Save 25% and you'll find out the same thing that, that Brad and I know. Healthy food never tasted this good. You know what else would taste good right now, Brad? The Seggies. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for Mystery Movie Moment. Uh, we haven't done this in a while, Brad. I think it's been about a month, right? It seems like it's been forever, but yeah, I think that's about right. Sound effects from Steve as the sugar starts to wear off. Uh, you know the drill here. We will play a snippet of a movie from the 80s if you get it right. Uh, you're entered into the drawing for a bottle opener. I'm trying to think if we have any other swag around here. I have a poster of Diane Franklin that's autographed to me. But it's autographed to you. Anybody. Why would you give that away? I know. I was going to say it has no value to anybody else. <laughs> if somebody really wanted that, that would be like a you know, stalker alert. Code Someone orange. else named Steve. Um, yeah. Pay attention. Here was the clip from show number 470. Let me guess. Sometimes you don't pay for your lunch. Or maybe you steal the occasional candy bar or newspaper. You're a closet rebel. Yeah, that's something wild. Chris, you know, you've, you've, you've seen something wild, right? I think I saw it. 80, uh, 1986 film? Yeah, yeah, so fantastic. I, I was working at the movie theater uh, at the time, but I, I don't have any specific recollection of the plot or, or anything on it, unfortunately. <laughs> that's okay. Brad, read some of the winners. Winners this week include Dave Agiagas, Jonathan Kelly, Dr. Dim, Eric the 16-Bit Barube, and Bobby in India. Pay attention. Here's our clip for this week. Could you imagine us doing this horizontally? Huh? If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com and tune in next week to find out if you're a winner. Uh, the mystical refrain that is named that 80s tune. Uh, you know the drill here by now. This time we're going to play a snippet of a song from the 80s if you can get it right. Again, you're entered into the drawing. For the bottle opener with our very important, not yet copyrighted, and probably never will be because we're far too lazy to do it, logo. <laughs> Didn't know where I was going there, but I 
I came so out the other end. Find us a lawyer. Do we have a stuck in the eighties <laughs> lawyer? Maybe we should get one. You know what? I don't know that we have any. I don't know that we have any fans that are lawyers. Maybe a couple. There must be a couple. It's got to be. Well, they're being quiet on purpose, probably. Actually, no. I, I know. I know at least one. I can think of at least one off the top of my head. I don't think we have any doctors. I know we've got a couple of dentists. Uh, anyway, what am anyway, I going with this? nowhere. Said. <laughs> that said, pay Here attention. People with jobs. The, yes. You think you think I'd be busy on a Sunday afternoon, but I'm not. Here is the clip from episode four seven zero. That's for those about to rock by ACDC. Okay, so not very obscure. A lot of names here. Oh. Got this one right. Oof, I will turn it over to uh, Brad, who has far more vo- vocal range than myself, to read the winners. Here we go, Steve. Winners this week include Callan Atlanta, Buckeye Girl, Eric in Tennessee, Fetch in Evansville, Rock the Good Egg. Hey, we haven't heard from him in a while. Jay Frabe CPA, Rhoda Collins, Andrew Holler, Tom Corn in Austria, Firefighter Mark, Eric in Seattle, Jeremy in St. Pete, Chip from Maryland, Joe Siski, Rick Parker, Mike Stewart from Virginia, Kirk Lowe in Texas, Heather Brown from Tennessee, Brett Young, Charles in Vegas, Kevin Serving Winch, Michael Mockrock Hayes, Ed from West Seattle, and Joseph Purdue. Okay, let's spin the wheel. See how who gets the free bottle opener. Ready? Uh, Ooh, you tear yourself one there, buddy. Now it's been four, five episodes since I got to spin that bad boy. Yeah, yeah. I should have boiled it ahead of time. Instead, I'm gonna let that one go. And the winner is. Uh, Michael, Mock Rock Hayes. Okay, fantastic. Email us your snail address and we will get uh, something out to you in this century. Uh, in the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's mystical clip. If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com. We'll be right back after this commercial break. In 1972, American TV networks canceled 12 TV shows for crimes they didn't commit. These shows were promptly forgotten by the public and faded into obscurity. Today, Chris Cooling researches these shows for a podcast. If there's a TV show that no one else remembers, and if you have earbuds, maybe you can listen to Forgotten TV. And we're back, and obviously that's not an 80s commercial. That's a promo for our new friend, Chris Cooling, who's here with us from Forgotten TV. Uh, Chris, tell people how they can find your podcast. It's available on wherever you find your podcasts, like iTunes, Stitcher, or uh, any podcast app. Or you can go to my website, forgotten.tv. Excellent, excellent. We have a few minutes left. I thought we've done a lot of time punishing the 80s for what they've given us. Uh, Let's talk about a couple of your favorite underrated TV shows, ones that maybe you've covered before on your podcast. Sure. The first one that uh, comes to mind is a 1988 show called Probe. And uh, Parker Stevenson, who previously was on the Hardy Boys, stars in it. Oh, yeah. Great little show. It was an Isaac Asimov concept. And uh, it was very short-lived. And Unfortunately, there was a writer's strike and the show ended. Uh. A little show, based, basically a, a scientific investigator that was a police consultant. And I, I did a podcast on it. So uh, listen to my podcast on Probe to learn all about that show. 
Another one was a Starman, based on the 1984 movie, but this was a 1986 series, and they brought back the character of Starman. Michael Douglas, who had produced the movie, came back. It's a great family show, hardly any violence in the show. It's a show that was like basically The Fugitive, but without a lot of the other TV cliches that uh, are associated with those types. Oh, cool. I didn't know there was a series based on that movie. That's cool. I didn't either. Yeah. It's on DVD. It's a great show. It's a great watch. Uh, the last one is not from the 80s, but I grandfathered it in because it is set in the 1980s. It is uh, Freaks and Geeks from 1999. And it was an early effort by uh, Paul Feig and Judd Apatow. And they both became bigger names later. And you had basically the geeks of high school befriending the slackers that were the freaks. And uh, it's a critically acclaimed show by virtually everybody. It's on DVD, but still, when I talk to people, relatively few people have watched it. So Freaks and Geeks is a great show. That I can claim to have seen. I, I, I think I saw at least half I of I need that. to watch this show. I think it's on Netflix right now. Maybe I'll spin that up now that I got a little extra time here at home with the kids off to school. Yeah. Excellent. There you go. Good picks. Good picks. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks, Chris, for coming on board. Uh, we have been meaning to do more television, and uh, it's always fun to make fun of uh, some of those shows that just really we'll never forget. Check out Chris's podcast, Forgotten TV. And in the meantime, Brad, Chris, <laughs> Starman, freaks and geeks alike, we remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Media Network. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app. Manimal.